Hello, everyone. I'm Abhijat Saraswath, and you're listening to the Fringe Legal Podcast. This is a show where I discuss the future of the legal profession with practitioners, thinkers, and innovators. The future is, of course, a topic that's becoming more important than ever, especially in these turbulent times. And I do hope you're all keeping well and safe. Hello and welcome to Fringe Legal. My guest today is Ray Biederman. Ray does so many different things and we'll explore some of the projects he's been working on lately. We'll talk about innovation, we'll talk about the cloud, and we'll talk about the impact on in-house and outside counsel as it relates to all of those things. But before we get started, Ray, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Glad to be here. Awesome. Tell our audience who you are, what you do, and feel free to tailor this to any one of your many hats that you wear on a day-to-day basis. Sure. Yeah, I, that is uh, an accurate way to describe it. I, I do wear several hats. So it all started back uh, when I was in undergrad and needed some money for college. I, I started working at an MLA 100 firm and <clears throat> in their brand new litigation support department. And so this was the firm's kind of first foray into uh, technology services and its nexus with the legal profession. And I started there printing off emails and scanning them in so we could code information off of the emails, which is uh, pretty archaic by today's standards. But at the time, it was the coolest thing ever. From There was the 2006 adoption of the rules, and I fell in love with the nexus of technology and e-discovery. And so I went to law school and started as an associate at that firm. And four of us from that firm about five years ago left and started our own litigation boutique practice here in Indianapolis, Indiana. And along with that, we started our own uh, wholly owned document review company. And so we provide support to other law firms in the Indiana, Chicago, Michigan area, and then a bunch of corporations ranging from mom and pop companies to Fortune 10 companies. And during that time, I've managed really large document reviews of 350 contract attorneys and had to provide a bunch of reporting off of all of that. And I'd lose about a day a week running all these reports. And every time I finish one report, it would be out of date already. And so I I knew that there had to be a better way to do this. And so that's where the idea for Discovery Master came along. Discovery Master is our our newest launched product, uh, just launched this year. And it takes data from Relativity uh, and displays it in multiple ways, but in kind of the the top three or four ways that litigating attorneys want to see that data. And so we have a dashboard that has all of this information and uh, people can see all of their cases in one place. And so we we had it internally just for us and many of our clients liked it. So we retooled and refactored over a span of a couple of years and uh, now I've gone to market with it as an independent product. That's awesome. And it was such a great story. And what, what occurred to me as you were talking about it is, A, you have the experience of living through and practicing a lot of the pain points, uh, unfortunately, uh, I should say, at some point. Uh, and second, as you launch this document review service, then you would have also heard a lot of the, the complaints and what pains clients and law firms. It's only natural if you are approaching it from that perspective to then go and create something to help internally and 
than to ideally hit the gold mine of being able to productize that for the outside market too. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Part of it started out as us selling document reviews a lot like selling sand. And uh, you need to find a way to say that your sand's different or better than right. the next person's sand. And so that's where Discovery Master started. But enough people saw value in it that, that we felt that we had something. Yeah, and that's a great place to start. And I'm by no means, and nor do I claim to be an expert in litigation at all, but certainly one of the things I remember... Uh, I can't remember where I read that, actually. Every, everyone knows litigation is expensive. Uh, I think there's no denying that. But discovery is probably the most expensive aspect of that. It accounts for, what, some two-thirds of the entire cost of litigation. So it's crazy. And going back to the story you were saying when you were hard-coding these email addresses and so on, it's what it feels yeah. like. you know. And discovery and litigation, certainly e-discovery has been the forefront of legal technology in so many ways. It was the, the initial beachhead, as one of your colleagues puts it, of legal tech innovation. And it's come a long way, but certainly one of the things that's missing, again, from my limited experience, is overarching understanding of the data and analytics. And especially when you are spending so much time, money, and energy a day a week is ridiculous. Um, yeah. Looking through this information to not be able to provide a better dashboard to be able to do that is crazy. Yeah, there was a definite need for the tool. And a lot of the people we've been talking to have seen that need. And it's really interesting. Each of these conversations we have, people will have an aspect, something that they're like, have you ever thought of X? And we're like, yeah, that's right here on our roadmap. <laughs> and so having that experience of being in the trenches on litigation is pretty helpful for product development. And to your point about the cost, yeah, 66 to 70% of litigation costs, I think the ABA put that out, is related to discovery. And anything we can do to get some more actionable intelligence with regard to what we're seeing in documents, how much it's costing, how long it takes to get through, I think helps our clients and helps companies save money across the board. Yeah, and I think an important aspect there is also to make sure that there is transparency across the entire project to make sure that both the in-house teams and outside counsel, as well as any other stakeholders involved, have the same set of information and you don't need a PhD to be able to decipher the data, which right. seems like a challenge. And it, it, by the way, I'm not knocking anyone who's done this, right? There are iterative steps in getting to this point. And how do you see when you speak to whether it's about your products or generally in practice, as you speak to in-house counsel, in-house teams and outside counsel, what are some of the points of feedback on where things are going when it comes to innovation within the legal profession itself? And then feel free to be more specific about what your expertise is too. Sure, sure. Yeah, I don't think I would be far afield to say that the law lives in the past a little bit. And so trying to add new tech or, or add tech stacks to the legal profession is an exceedingly difficult mm -hmm. road. What we've noticed is, at least lately, we launched at the beginning of COVID, and I think that instantly brought in-house teams into cost-saving mode yeah. as fast as possible. And we've noticed that a lot of our demos have been to in-house teams that, that are really interested in adding something to, to save money in their tech stack. And then our demos with AMLA firms, we focused kind of in the AMLA 200, and we've had you know, a lot of interest, AMLA 100, AMLA 10, in the product 
the technologists there are very interested in the product and getting to where we need to get to. But I think there's a big process, several hurdles to get over in order to get to adoption. One of the biggest hurdles that we've seen is uh, cloud versus on-prem. So so Relativity has recently moved to uh, sort of a cloud-based model, like some of the other tools in the market. Two of them are Everlaw and Disco. Those are cloud-based tools. They have some great advantages, but people are very concerned about security in relation to the cloud. And when we talk to some of the largest firms in, in the country and around the world, they want this product on-prem. And I thought about it. Uh, at first, I, I was confused as to why they would want it on-prem as opposed to in the cloud. But they're so large that the, basically it's like a private cloud. Yeah. They have data centers around the world. And they're like, we don't, we don't need the cloud. We've, we've got our own. And, and so do, that's... Do, um, do you find that there's a there's obviously a clear dichotomy here of certainly the uh, I'm going to say the litigators and those that are looking at this information wanting things to be in the cloud for all, all of the, the copious benefits that it provides, but also mm-hmm. the as you said the requirement often security and therefore it links back to the IT teams for keeping things on prem um, and your, your point about it essentially becoming a private cloud is you know absolutely on point, but that really only affects X percent of firms, especially when you look at the AMLAW 200, maybe the, uh, the, 20, the 25% of the largest ones that have that capability. How do you see that difference? How do you see that playing out when you speak to, I don't want to say smaller firms, because it's not just smaller firms, but those that have maybe started to move along this journey for other reasons too. Yeah, I, I mean, there are clear advantages to the cloud. One of, one of them being completely up-to-date security. We, when we developed the product, we wanted it to be in, in the cloud because, one, it, we federate access to all Relativity instances. So if you have Relativity hosted with five or six different channel partners, you log into one place and you get every case, regardless of who the channel partner is. And doing that from the cloud was a lot easier. But the, the security model that, that they have is much better than anything that you could get at any reasonable price point. And, and if you can afford to have your own private cloud across the world, that's one thing. But for most of us, um, being able to piggyback off of the security is a pretty critical concern. Also, retirement of old servers. You don't have to worry about that. You, you, save, you save a ton of money uh, right there as well. Yeah, and I guess part of that comes to future spend, because if you have all of this infrastructure in place already, you don't want to make that move uh, and it deprecate all this it, it, all this hardware much earlier than it's meant to because otherwise it just sits there. It's not like yep. you, can, you, you want to run it to full capacity as frequently as possible. Talk to me a little bit about the, I'm curious about the tech adoption and innovation point of view, and especially as you are speaking to in-house teams and the uh, Amber 200 firms, is there a difference in the enthusiasm and the sophistication, and it could be around cloud, or it could be about something else. How how does that vary? Yeah, in-house teams definitely seem more enthusiastic about adding to their legal tech stack Mm -hmm. than firm attorneys. And a lot of that has to do with, I I think that when you have, when you're working in-house, you see a lot of other departments that are getting technology every day and onboarding new technologies. 
Whereas in the law firm, we're in silos and this is the way it's been done for 50 years and this is the way we're going to do it for the next 25. And so uh, I think cutting through some of that is difficult. And there's been, I, I think with a lot of previous technology, you cover, it's like the rule of 80%, right? You cover 80% of what the needs are and then the other 20% you either custom build or figure out a, a workaround for it. And as litigators, we're working in a pretty fast-paced environment at time, and that 20% is critical. <laughs> so you don't want to make a move until you've got everything covered or, or you don't have to change yeah. your processes that, that much. And that was part of the beauty of what we've done is people don't really have to change their practices all that much. There's, they, it unifies everything into one place and they get the information they need, but they don't have to learn a new piece of software in order to do it. It's just a login and you click through to your instance of relativity. So it's a unique scenario there. Yeah, and I wonder if some of the antiquated ways of doing things in-house is partly because in the past, many, not all of them, but certainly many of the in-house lawyers and legal teams were individuals that left big law to go in-house and therefore they just took all of the lessons from, from big law into in-house whereas at least in more more recent years there's been a fresh breed that coming that have no experience of doing things in-house and you are seeing a lot more of that bleed from consumer level tech uh, or just non-legal tech just tech right uh, into the in-house world and wow this things these things are fluid they work they do these things why are we using this sort of technology from the 1970s or 1980s to do some of this? So yeah, that's really interesting. And the other point that you touched on is if you're focusing on that, and I imagine, and again, please, I'm assuming a lot and I don't know anything. I imagine that because both the stakeholders are working from the same set of information, there is obviously the transparency point, but also is something that as a secondary benefit means that the outside counsel can leverage the technology to build on their relationship with in-house teams. They can actually be individuals that can say, look, here's how you use this. Here is the data you should look at. And you have access to all the same thing. Instead of having to call me to get an update, just log in and you get all the answers. And we can then spend that time talking about strategy, thinking about what this means and the actual analysis of the information. Yeah, that's a great point. Most people went to law school to practice law and not practice technology or practice updating Excel spreadsheets all the time. And so I, I think that these technologies can take away some of that abstraction and help people spend money on the important part, which is litigating the case. Yeah, for sure. And you said you have a, you have a lot of things on your roadmap. How do you feed into the roadmap? Is it from your own experience? Is this from listening to customers, customer interviews and something else? Or yeah, how, how are you deciding where to take this into the market? Which direction to go? Sure. It's a little bit of both. We created a beachhead at the document review process because that's where the meatiest of the litigation technologies comes into play. And now we're moving on both sides of the EDRM backwards into litigation holds and collections. So we, we're in beta on a, a litigation hold collection tool that will feed into the document review tool, which, which is Discovery Master. And then we've got a production tool that we're working on to show, we want to be able to show this Microsoft Word document. It was from this person, it got collected on this date, it was processed here, and this is where it was produced. 
And so we want to be able to show that entire cycle of that document in the context of whatever litigation or litigations that document is in. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And so eventually you end up essentially creating this workflow product that goes through the entire life cycle. Yeah, that's the concept. And we've been working to integrate with some other practice management software so we can have a seamless experience from cradle to grave in relation to this is your tech stack, this is where you go, and you see everything you need to know about a case. That's the, the, the missing piece in all of this is we have all this great technology, but not a lot of it works together very well. And you've got to have 50 different logins in order to figure out where we're at a motion for summary judgment. So and I, taking away some of those pain points is our, our chief goal. Yep, absolutely. I was going to just say that, actually. That's a pain point that sort of felt across the entire profession, whether you're working on transactional matters or, or in litigation. Absolutely. And I know, so we're recording this on the 14th of September, and exactly in one week's time, uh, you're making a big bang at Ralfest. So anyone attending that, I imagine, virtually, uh, <laughs> I suspect, be sure to please reach out to Ray and, and his team. But yeah, Ray, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Anything else that you wanted to mention if people wanted to find out more, where should they go? How can they get in touch with you guys? Sure. Yeah. Our website is uh, discoverymaster.co. On there, you'll see a, a little video about what we're doing and you'll be able to reach out to us to schedule a demo or email me directly. And we're happy to talk with you. But just wanted to say thank you very much for, for having us on. This is very cool. So thanks. Yeah, no problem. Uh, and you'll find Ray's details to his LinkedIn and for Discovery Master in the show notes. So please look out for that. And Ray, thanks so much. Have a good day. Yep, you too. Bye-bye. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Fringe Legal Newsletter. This is a weekly roundup of interesting things. Every Sunday, I send out an exclusive email with three to five of the coolest things we've explored that week. It could include exclusive content, sneak peek at future projects, books, articles, or new hacks. The emails are available only if you subscribe to the newsletter, and more than 530 people receive it every single week. You can join up at fringelegal.com slash newsletter. It's completely free. 